Hey there, this is Brian. I'm the host of the Engaging Missions show. If you've found this show for the first time, I did want to take a second to let you know that this show is not currently in production. You're certainly welcome to check out all of the archives, but we don't have new episodes coming out at the moment. However, I did want to take a second to highlight one of the sponsors that sponsored the show a while ago. They're not currently sponsoring the show, but if you're looking for a place to invest in the kingdom, I'd recommend checking out Mega Voice Audio Bibles. You can find them at megavoice.com, or you'll find a link in the show notes. And I would encourage you to just check that out and see if maybe that's a fit for your giving. There's no compensation here or anything like that. I just wanted to highlight them. And with that, I'll get you back into the regular program. This is the Engaging Missions Show, Episode 263. This week, we're talking with Fouad Masri, founder of Crescent Project, about reaching and loving Muslims. One thing I'll say, my brother, is let's put the hand in the plow, never look back. It, it's time. Welcome to the Engaging Missions Show, where we are bringing missions home. Here's your host, Brian Ensminger. Thanks so much for stopping by, and welcome to the show. We believe that every missionary and church planner deserves to be heard and loved, and that every believer deserves the opportunity to participate in what God's doing. And I did also want to mention, in case you didn't know, that I do edit and produce other podcasts, for example, From the Forefront by my friend Scott McClelland. If you're interested in another podcast about missions, check out From the Forefront at fromtheforefront.com. And if you're looking for help with your podcast production, send an email to feedback at engagingmissions.com. This week, we're going to be talking with Fouad Masri about Crescent Project and reaching Muslims. But I also wanted to mention before I get to that, that I'm looking for some help with some administrative things, things like scheduling and and managing social media, maybe some assistance with research and pre-reading books for interviews, or perhaps some assistance with email and scheduling. If you've been on the outside looking in and you're wondering if there's a way that you could be directly involved, or if perhaps you're looking at what I'm doing and you're thinking, hey, I could do that better. I'm interested in hearing from you. Send an email to feedback at engagingmissions.com. I'd love to hear from you because I'm looking for a person or maybe a few people with a vision for this kind of thing to help take this further than I could. I do want to say a quick thank you to Megavoice, who's our sponsor. With nearly 800 million illiterate adults worldwide, believers are faced with a challenge. How can we empower people to engage with Scripture if they're unable to read? Megavoice manufactures solar-powered audio Bibles in nearly 4,000 different languages and dialects so that non-literate people can access Scripture in their heart language. These are highly durable, secure, and completely customizable to fit your audience in your location. Missionaries distributing these audio Bibles in Cambodia have reported that the loudspeaker on just one audio Bible can allow an entire village to listen to the scripture together. From homeless outreach to refugee response to medical missions and trauma recovery, these audio Bibles allow missionaries and ministries to maximize their impact. You can learn more by visiting megavoice.com slash engaging missions. And again, huge thank you to Megavoice for sponsoring the show. I greatly appreciate it. With that, I want to talk a little bit about Fouad Masri. He's the author of 14 books. He's a lecturer and the founder of Crescent Project. He was born and raised in Beirut, Lebanon, and is a third-generation pastor. His heart is for reaching Muslims for Christ, and he's here today to share with us from his story and to tell us about Crescent Project. And there are some great things that we talked about, really encouraging and also really challenging. I think you're going to really enjoy this conversation with Fouad Masri. As we're getting started, I'm 
I'm trying to get a little bit of background because I don't really have a good perspective for what it might have been like growing up in Beirut and then coming to the U.S. Can you, can you share a little bit about your life in Beirut and then what led you to come to the U.S. for seminary? Yes, um, I grew up in a home uh, where the gospel came through my grandfather. My grandfather had ran away from the Ottomans, from the Turkish army. And in those days, people just tried to get to America. So he came in 1914, heard the gospel in, hmm. in uh, uh, Toledo, Ohio. And then he went back as a minister, never met him. He died pastoring a church outside Damascus. But he led my dad to the Lord, and then God used my father to lead me to the Lord. Uh, during the war in Lebanon, you know, most people would not understand civil war because many people sometimes live in countries where there is no civil war. Mm -hmm. And with, I pray that no one experiences that. There are other countries that experience civil war the whole time. So in Lebanon, the civil war kept taking different shapes and, you know, different groups, you know, different names. But it was brother killing a brother, neighbors killing neighbors. And it was very religiously based for many times. Then it became ethnic based. Um, so during that, you know, you have your doubts and your questions. And God used the same war to draw me back to himself. Mm. And when I got saved, I started praying for all people, praying for whether they're Jewish people, Israelis, Palestinians. The Palestinians killed my best friend, or one of my best friends, Walid, who was age 18. Mm. So, you know, there's a lot of hate towards the Palestinians. But God changed my heart, you know, started praying for them and started sharing the gospel with my classmates. And I discovered that many times when we talk to Muslims, they don't know the religion. They, they know some of it, maybe some practices, but they don't know Islam. Hmm. On top of that, they don't even know what is the gospel. They don't know what Christians believe. Some of them has ha, have talked to me about some strange ideas they had about what Christians believe. You know, whether they think we worship three gods or, uh, you know, we're loose morally. Some people, you know, thought that the, the Christian community was loose. Uh, in their morality. So that, that kind of pushed me to the idea that I need to start sharing the gospel with people who had never heard the gospel, never. Mm. And this is something that people who live in the West don't understand that, yes, it's true, it's the 21st century, and there are people who have never heard it. They never heard it. Or they heard it wrong. Like today, most Muslims are taught that Jesus was born of a virgin, but the Quran says, uh, she delivered Jesus, and she had Jesus under a palm tree. Well, that's not really accurate. It wasn't a palm tree. It was a manger. Mm -hmm. uh, so the whole story of the manger, of the shepherds, of the magi is not even there. So many times people say, oh, they, they know about the virgin birth. Well, yeah, it's a statement. They don't know the details. So, so that kind of broke my heart. And I wanted to become a doctor, and I decided to change my major into communication and use television in those days and radio mm. to share the gospel with countries where the gospel was not accessible. That's that's really intriguing, especially when I consider that your your ministry now, Crescent Project, also has a podcast and uses media. So it's really it's exciting to see how God took that desire and then brought it brought it out in maybe some different ways. Did did you ultimately have TV or radio ministry while you were in Lebanon? Yes. So I came to the United States, got my degree in communication, 
and then went back, served for six years in Beirut, and we built our own radio studio. We would uh, broadcast on shortwave, hmm. on uh, AM wave. We get uh, people had to, you know, we asked our listeners to write, and we were excited to see people write to us from uh, from the Arabian Peninsula, uh, from. Uh, North Africa, we get nice letters. Some people wanted to kind of debate, and that's fine. We answered their questions. Some people were respectful, but had certain comments, and we thanked them and sent them a Bible. Uh, there's a lot of restrictions, so we're not sure how many of these Bibles went through mm. because the governments will confiscate them if they were sent in the mail. Yeah. But we always honored the person who sent the letter. We thanked them, and we sent them a, a Bible if they gave us their address. One of the things I discovered that in those days is that more and more people are interested. And the thing that would love to repeat in this podcast regularly is that Muslims have never been this open. Mm. I've been sharing the gospel since 1979, and every year we see them more open than the year before. Mm. They are hungry to know who Jesus is. They're hungry but for the gospel. And sometimes they hear one verse from the scripture, and they are hungry to read the whole New Testament. Wow, and it's it's really exciting to see how God has been moving in the Muslim hearts, and we're seeing them respond in different ways. I mean, I believe God moves all the time, but in the last twenty years, we've seen Muslims respond in different ways. Wow, what do you think has led to that that different response? One of the things that we're seeing is that the consistent message, and people starting to see that. Number one was that the Christians are not the people they tell them they are. Most mm. Muslims today are are controlled by their imams, by the religious leaders. Uh, the structure is very rigid. Uh, there's no diversity. So what happens is that you have to agree with the imam. You cannot outthink the Quran. Mm. You cannot outthink the Prophet Muhammad. You cannot outthink your, the imam. You cannot say, you know, well, Maybe this is wrong. Maybe polygamy is wrong. Well, it's, that's a, it's a sin to doubt Islam. So after years of people moving to the West and stuff, so people started saying, hey, there's something different. Then we have education and globalization. You know, the Internet starts. People start emailing. We get, uh, we get more and more people downloading things. And then we had the explosion of social media. So now people are, you know, they they have friends. They they I think the statistics maybe uh, from every six people who are friends with you, I think two of them live outside your country. Wow. So here's somebody in Beirut talking to somebody in Dubai on Facebook or on their Instagram, and they're maybe the guy in Dubai has a friend in India, and suddenly you know your network of friends is no longer. You know the Shia of Beirut or the Sunni of of Sidon. You know your 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 network is now bigger. Yeah. And then lastly, I think what happened on September 11. September 11 is was a culmination of a lot of attacks. Most people uh, look at it as an instant, but if you look at history, you could see that these attacks have been growing uh, against the United States. And you know those people said that our goal is. To hurt Americans, so finally, when what happened on September 11, there was what we call a crisis. There was a crisis in America. There was a crisis in the West because the West, for the first time, had to deal with with what we call um, militancy based on religion. Mm. You know, how, how do you fight militancy based on religion? If Allah says it's okay 
How can you argue with God? How can you go argue with Allah? So there was a problem for the West. However, in the same time, there was a problem for the Muslims. Some Muslims were happy with these attacks, but others were, you know, scared and appalled. And, and the crisis was, what is Islam? Is Islam a peaceful religion? If Islam is a peaceful religion, who are the terrorists? If the terrorists are not Muslim, what are they? Well, they're not Catholic, they're not Presbyterian. So who are these Muslims? Why they're quoting the Quran? So now the struggle with the Muslim people across the planet is, what is jihad? Is jihad to be practiced today? Who defines jihad? Is, is the jihad in Syria the same like the jihad in Nigeria? And so these questions are coming up and Muslims, you know, are using their brain. They're like, wait a second, do I want to be part of this? You know, because if this is God's will to do jihad, then we should join them. Mm -hmm. But if it's not jihad, then we should stop them. So this is the crisis in Islam today. And sadly, the secular media, and I use the word secular here because many times they're not even news media. They're just trying to kind of push an agenda, but many times the media doesn't answer serious questions. For example, two teenagers run away from Sweden all the way to Syria to fight with ISIS. Why would they do that? Mm -hmm. Why would teenagers leave a country like Sweden to go live in Syria and live with these people to fight and kill the infidels? Well, what is that all about? And nobody's answering. You know, we, we they throw words, well, you know, it's about money. No, it's not about money. They're teenagers. It's about money. They'll stay in Sweden. Why would somebody leave Sweden? You know, it's not like, you know, they left a bad area they were living in. They were in a country that's, you know, considered one of the nicest countries to live in. So, Nick, you can't answer that question. The other question, why the Sunnis and the Shi'i are fighting each other. You know, you meet a Sunni or a Shi'i in America or in Europe, you know, they're they're nice people, they have families, they life they like to work. So why are they fighting? Why are they fighting? They say, Well, the war started in six hundred and fifty-six. Okay, you there was a war in six hundred and fifty-six AD. Why we're fighting now? It's mm -hmm. the twenty-first century. So Muslims today, for the first time, they're asking these questions. They might never get the answer. They might never even ask the question due to fear, due to shame. Uh, due to concern that they might lose their life. On the other hand, these questions are in their heart. You know, simple question. Does God cares? Does God loves me? Yeah. Does God love all people? Does God forgives? Does God does God want me to live like the terrorist? Or does God has a better plan? Uh, who represents Islam? Does anybody represent Islam other than the prophet of Islam, Muhammad? And so these questions are drawing them into this identity crisis. So you meet Muslims today and they make up their own religion. So I'm in Beirut and the, this Muslim man says, well, it doesn't matter if you're Muslim or not. If you believe in one God, then you're going to heaven. Well, that's not, that's not biblical, but it's also not Quranic. The right. Quran is clear. Another person said, well, if you, if you do good, God will judge people according to how much good they do. Well... Well, it's nice, but you know, you can say I didn't kill as many people as someone else did. You can't compare right. yourself to evil. You have to compare yourself to God. Right. <laughs> like the rule of God is the rule of God. I can't say, well, I'm better than you know uh, a mass murderer. Well, yeah, but you're not as good as 
the holiness of God. And that's where the Bible comes in. So these these uh, tryouts or uh, trials in their mind, they 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 create in their in their communication with Muslims these these um, scenarios that fits the criteria we're in. Uh, last um, June, I was in Minnesota talking to a, a uh, Sunni 27-year-old young man who graduated from college, never read the Bible once. And I was shocked. I said, you went to college, never read the Bible, never read the New Testament? No, he and he didn't read the whole Quran, just parts of it. But he had comments to me and uh, about Christianity, which was not true. Hmm. And the first one was, what did Jesus bring that was different? And <laughs> in my mind, like, okay, here's my app. I pulled the Bible app, and I let him read it in Arabic. On the Bible app, where Jesus says, love your neighbor as yourself, mm-hmm. love your enemies. And he, he was shocked that Jesus said that. And he was like, well, that doesn't make sense. We have to hate our enemies. I said, that's true, but that's what everybody says. Hmm. Every person says you should kill your enemies. But Jesus bringing a divine message because he was a, the word of God. He's divine. That's why he's saying love your enemies. You and I cannot do that, but he can do that through our, uh, through us. It, it was beautiful to see him change in his mindset that, hey, this gospel that I'm pushing away has something unique. I'm just kind of thinking about the picture that you shared, the, the current reality where People have relationships outside their own country, perhaps outside the ethnic group that historically they've been connected with, and also people making up their own religion, having a lot of confusion, a lot of division and fighting. How can we then best connect with and share the love and the truth of Christ in in this situation where we're in right now? Yes, thank you. You know, this is an excellent question and an insight. Today, the church needs to see their role like the Bible defines it. The Bible defines us as light and darkness, salt of the earth. Mm. What happens to us, we fall into the traps of doctrine, of methods. I cannot tell you how many people want to invite me to conferences about methods to share the gospel. Well, that's great. I'd love to go to them all. But at, at the core of the gospel is not a method. As Jesus yeah. said, shine your light. So what happens to us as church, we need to look at the society we're in and take the opportunity. This is not the time to stay in the building. This is not the time to hunker down and say, you know, oh, I don't know. I don't like they're wearing the hijab or, you know, they're they're different, they drive different. No, no, this is the time to engage because, one, we know that God has his people. We know God has called us. Two, we are seeing them ask questions. You meet people and they're like hungry. I was I was in the airport, Chicago airport, and the lady from Morocco, she took a book called Adhana Injil. In my book, Connecting with Muslims, I highlight how a person should begin a conversation. And many times that question or that greeting or that just smile saying, hey, where are you from, will break the ice. And not only will lead them to Christ, absolutely, we would love to see them all come to Christ, but it will change the equation of Muslim-Christian relationship. Many Muslims today who have Christian friends, if they do not become believers in Jesus, they want to redefine Islam. They want Mm. it because they want Islam to be like the Christian faith. 
And you'll find a lot of these people saying, well, we need to be peaceful. They're getting involved in these interfaith dialogue, which I know it's, it's a little bit, as you say in English, a little bit of a theatrics, you know, everybody, let's put everybody there. And everybody oh. says they're, you know, they're saying, and then we, we clap and we leave. I understand that. But still, there's a de- demand for Muslims to create a society that's like the Christian society, where there's, there's loving, there's peace, there's this concept that we shouldn't kill each other. We should, we should be uh, people of uh, peace. And Christ, our Savior, said something very uh, important. Uh, Blessed are the peacemakers. Mm-hmm. So this is the core message. We are peacemakers. Now, that doesn't mean that we turn a blind eye to, to evil. But what it says that you work for peace, you work for people's change. And so uh, my challenge that I deal with every day, personally and as a ministry and as a church, is that this is the time to shine the light. This is not the time to put our light under a bushel. This is the time to shine the light. When you meet a Muslim, go talk to them. You're at Target, you're at Walmart, you're whatever place, and the lady's wearing a hijab. Talk to her. Hey, where are you from? Uh, mm. you, she might, you know, if you're a guy walking in the in the store and there's somebody with his wife hijab, ask, talk to the guy. Say, hey, how are you? Welcome to this uh, this state. Where did you move from? And you find that many people are here, especially if they're refugees. They're coming from real disaster, mm. you know. And, and really, the solution for the refugee crisis is to solve the problem in their country. I mean, <laughs> most people want to put a Band-Aid, like, you know, let's mm. send them a blanket. Well, yeah, but the, these people want to be home, you know. However, yeah. a lot of them now became our neighbors. Well, let's talk to them. Or some of them are engineers or doctors or they're coming to America for better life. And so this is where we need to reach out to them. In my mind, I think there's kind of a two-pronged thing, right? One is my responsibility to interact with the people around me and show them Christ's love. And let's just kind of throw the Muslim comment aside, because I think it relates to everybody, but specifically, I think there's a blockage right there in our culture. But then also for us as as the audience right now listening to you, primarily involved in some form of church or ministry leadership, how can we then not only walk that out ourselves, but also lead others to do the same? Thank you. The, the first thing we need to do, and it's very important, and I'm very serious about it, is we have to pray. Hmm. The, the, the Matthew 9 is clear. Ask the Lord. In John 4, Jesus says, look and see the harvest is white. And you think, what? It, it, it's, you know, 2,000 plus years ago, our Savior told us that the yeah. harvest is there. So there's this self-image that we need to change to fit the gospel. There are people out there yearning to hear a message. The second thing is we have to understand that Muslims are asking, they're searching. And if we don't offer them the answer to their question, that question is going to be unanswered. And you, you might look at them, they might look very Western or they might not look Western. Sometimes when they go back to the traditional dress, that's because they're trying to make sense of the reality. Mm. They come to the West, they can't deal with culture shock, so they go to something that's easier to understand if they're from Algeria or from Tunisia or Egypt or Sudan, you know. So uh, many times I I was at a Sudanese mall and I was at a Somali mall and you walk in and all you're seeing is people trying to adjust by creating a little bit of what they knew before. 
because uh. they can't handle the, this culture transition. So the, you know they're answering. That's that's there. The third thing that really encourage people to do is get equipped. We have something called the Bridges Study, and we have something called the Bridges Seminar. People can look at them at crescentproject.org or bridgesstudy.com. There are a lot of materials that they can use to share the gospel uh, that also on the website, or they can get books like Connecting with Muslims and Ambassadors to Muslims to have maybe a book study on it. Uh, The Bridges Study is designed to understand Islam on the basic level, which all Muslims know, and then how to begin a conversation, how to begin a conversation with respect and and with a way to keep the conversation moving about Jesus. We don't want to spend time talking about politics or basketball or sports. Sure, I mean, we'll talk a little bit about this, but when I'm with my friends, I would like to talk more about my Savior. You know, sure, I want to be normal in my conversation and talk about other stuff. But at the core of my message is Jesus is what changed me. Jesus is, can change you. So mm-hmm. I would encourage people to get trained. We, we believe as a ministry that we have a very practical training and we have a biblical training. And they are designed to be transferable. So anybody can go through them. They can go through Sahar Challenge. It's our intensive training and then go train others. So, you know, we design them that way, number one. And number two, when you train others, there's multiplication. We praise God that in the last 10 years, we started tracking what we're doing. In the last 10 years, more than 321,000 people equipped through our materials, through our websites. And we estimate about 1.6 million heard the gospel. We're trusting God for the next five years to impact 500,000 people who will probably have 2.5 million Muslims at least have a conversation with them about Jesus. So this is happening because the way Jesus designed it works. Jesus Hmm. invested in 12 disciples. So multiplication is the name of the game. It's not about having an expert where everybody goes and calls the expert. No, Christ gave them the training and then they send them. And we see the gospel keep moving because it's multiplication and we're trusting God for that. So I would encourage our listener, pray, pray by name for the people. If you don't know them, pray for them and let God move. Second, begin a conversation. It doesn't matter what it could be about something as simple as, you know, we have a good weather today and then mm. get equipped yourself and equip people around you. I hesitate to ask this question a little bit because we, in, in the U.S. at least, we live in such a results-oriented or goal-oriented culture, and that's not really my heart. But one of the things I am wondering is, what, what kinds of transformations do you see in the lives of people when they've started investing themselves in training like this and then actually putting it into action? The beauty, beautiful thing, sir, is that there will be a new energy new initiative in the heart that's based on faith Mm. in Jesus. That I am doing this because my job is sowing, my job is watering the seed, my job is harvesting, but the glory goes to Christ. Mm. That's the first thing that changed. The other thing that we noticed is that people get a different view of Islam, that the mystery of Islam is taken away 
and they start understanding that there is a difference between Muslims as people and Islam as a religion. And the issue we have is with Islam as a religion, not with people. People, you know, are, are many times victims to a system that put them that way. Hmm. And once you do that, it frees you up because now, regardless of the response, I am shining my light. You know, it doesn't matter if they say yes to Jesus or no. I mean, I'd love every person to talk to to say yes to Jesus. Right. And many times you even talk to, you know, good old American kids, you know, who maybe raised in Sunday school and they're not ready to follow Jesus. So it, 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 the issue is not that what is their decision. The issue is how did I spend that few moments with that person? Did I shine my light? Now, we have to do it respectful, absolutely. We have to do it loving, absolutely. Mm. Jesus wants us to tell the truth in love, and, you know, absolutely this is important. One of the stories about our, our Savior was beautiful. It's about when Christ healed 10 lepers. Yeah. And only one came back and believed. Now, the other nine did not lose their healing. <laughs> right. And the reason I love that story, because for us, God's gift is to show his goodness. Now, we don't know what happened those nine numbers. Maybe they got saved later. But at that moment, you can say, well, Jesus' ministry had only 10% response. <laughs> you know? <laughs> but, <laughs> you know, but the idea is, Jesus wasn't thinking about response. Jesus was doing his ministry. His ministry was teaching, healing, saving, releasing the, releasing the captives, you know, making the blind see. I mean, I just love that Isaiah passage for our Savior. And so many times as we are doing... We're doing ministry. We're doing ministry because we love Jesus. Sure, we love the person we're talking to. Absolutely. I'm not saying we don't love him, but the heart desire is I love my master. I love my savior. I love my risen king. I just want to serve him. You know, so whoever I meet, especially Muslims, I want to share with them. And regardless of the response, because I'm doing this for my savior. I'm not doing it for them. And this is the beauty of the message. The Christian yeah. church have suffered centuries. Yes, the first three, 300 years were tough on us because it was kind of couldn't escape to any area. But mm -hmm. throughout the centuries, there have been persecution. Throughout the centuries, we've had to be resilient as a, as a community. And that's because God is with us. The only reason the church continues to grow is that Jesus is building his church. It's not us. He is doing it. We're just part of his workers we are just there to enjoy the journey he is doing the work how much and i guess i'm I'm going to kind of frame this up a little bit it, it seems like a lot of times there's a little bit of a reluctance to reach out to people who look or perhaps even are different from us i'm wondering how much of that reluctance d does it seem to be based on us viewing people as a caricature of themselves rather than just getting to know them as people. Yes, that there's two sides of the same coin. There's you have one that is not reality, and that is true. Many times we depict people, especially Muslims, in a in a box, in a situ in a in a frame framework that's not necessarily true. Sometimes you say, Oh, all Muslims beat their wives. Well that's not true. Or all Muslims want to kill us. Well that's not true. There are a lot of Muslims who are very interested living among Christians. Many of them, they want to send their kids to Christian schools. You, you know, I, I, had a, I had a friend who was a Shia. He said, I wanted to put my kids in a Christian school because I know they will learn good morality. 
and we trust the teachers. The teachers are trustworthy. They love God. They love Jesus. So, you know, that the framework could be wrong. You're right. On the flip side, there is a reality that's true. Yes, there are people who are evil. Yes, there are Muslims who want to kill. Yes, there are militant Muslims. But Jesus told us, be angry and not sin. So, mm. yes, absolutely. The, the attacks on the churches uh, during Easter, that is a disgrace. Yes, I am angry about that attack. Absolutely. But the Bible says, be angry and not sin. The people who did it, mm. they don't know any better. That's what they were told that God wants them to do. So like our Savior at the cross said, Father, forgive them. This is our attitude. These, the reason he forgave them because they don't know what they're doing. They don't, they, they don't know right. truth from error. So there is the two sides of the coin. One, it's true. Not all of them necessarily are militant. We don't know uh, what is their mindset. The second part, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if they love us or hate <laughs> us. Jesus already told me what yeah. to do. And we, saw, we see that in the story of the Good Samaritan. We see that even when they ask Christ, do we pay taxes? <laughs> I mean, talk about that today in America. You know, do we yeah. pay taxes? Jesus says very easy. Who's who's on the picture of this coin? Caesar. Okay, if you want to use Caesar's money, then you use Caesar's system. You don't want to use Caesar's money. Don't use the money. Don't use the system. So, and he's right. right. If you want to use the, the money of the Caesar, you pay taxes. And so it's very important to understand that our Savior had a deeper understanding for life. Life was more than what we eat and drink and wear. Life is mm -hmm. what benefits a man to win the whole world and lose their soul. This is where we're at. And sadly, so many young Muslim men and young Muslim women are dying in what they call jihad, and they're going to an eternity without Jesus. It is so sad. What a waste of life. Young men and mm -hmm. women dying uh, like this and wasting their life and they they need to hear the message of Jesus if if you were able to sit down with two or three hundred Christian leaders from all across the country and even a few international people and just share with them one thing what would you share with them there's a verse in Habakkuk it says look and see I'm doing great work in the nations that you will not believe even if you're told one thing I'll say, my brother, is let's put the hand of the plow, never look back. It, it's time. It's time to finish the job with Muslims. 1,400 years, and we still have Muslims that have never seen a page of the Bible. And God is moving in mighty ways. We're seeing dreams and visions and, and people asking. I was in Beirut last year. There was a guy who, who walked, and he crossed, and he said, I'm, I'm here. I want to just want to read the Bible. He wasn't even planning to become a believer. He just wanted to read the Bible. He wanted to see what the Bible says that's different than the Quran. Another uh, man had a dream of, of Jesus. Another person was doing pilgrimage. He, he was in Hajj in Mecca. Christ appears to him in the tent and tells him, why are we here? You belong to me. I mean, we hear stories. You can't explain it. God is moving. And he is doing something that we never believed we'll hear. And I just will tell my friends who are in ministry, let's put the hand on the plow and never look back because it's time for harvest. Wow, that's 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 a powerful thing. I, I appreciate you sharing that. We've talked a, a little bit about some of the things that you provide through Crescent Project. Can you maybe share just a little bit more about 
what Crescent Project is and what, what you make available for the body of Christ? Yeah, our um, desire is to challenge Christians that we have a hope worth sharing. So we, uh, we do training. We have materials, resources. We do conferences. We have an annual conference in Europe and an annual conference in the United States. And we're praying that that will expand to other areas. And uh, the goal of it is to inform the Christian believers of what God is doing and inspire them for action. Also, we want to equip them. So we have a lot of conferences to train, but also to help them transfer the gospel to others. And so what, what happens is that our goal from the training is that it won't stay with the person, that it will multiply to others. So from the beginning of the training, we're expecting everybody to go train someone else. So that's one side. The other side is we have materials of outreach that make sense to the Muslims. Many times we, it's not that the Muslims don't want to become believers in Jesus. It's just they don't understand what we're asking them to do. So a lot of materials in my time in Lebanon, and when I came to seminary, I discovered a lot of the materials do not reach the Muslim mind. They don't reach the Muslim heart. They're more written from a Christian point of view. So I have a book called Adha in the Injil. Most people can't even say the word Adha, but that's okay because it's written for Muslims. I use the word Injil. That's the Arabic word for New Testament, the message of Jesus, because we want to communicate where they are. I have a series of questions that Muslims ask. So we wrote them. They're now ebooks, audiobooks. For example, do Christians worship three gods? Is Muhammad in the Bible? Who is Jesus, the son of Mary? And who died on the cross? They tell them Jesus didn't die on the cross. Okay, so who died on the cross? So these are materials. So when they come to our ministry, there's two parts. The first part is, is helping you share the gospel. The second part, equipping you to share the gospel and bring others with you. Because our goal is that we don't go alone. We want to bring others with us. Uh, the last thing that we are seeing now is the number of Muslim background believers has grown. We have seven staff on our team who are from Muslim background. And so we're trusting God that will, that will increase in our ministry. And also we're praying that more of our ministry will be discipling Muslim background believers and we have a specific efforts now we're doing for discipling muslim background believers good stuff as we bring this to a close i'm just wondering for those who are listening right now how can we best pray for you well we have now uh, close to 50 team members i would appreciate if you can pray for the safety and for crescent project for protection from the evil one and evil people and also if you can pray for the Muslims who became believers, that they will multiply and will grow spiritually. And then lastly, if you can pray that God will add more to our team, because we are only in 31 cities, and we'd like to see more people join our team so we can rally the church to reach out to their community. For those of you who are listening, I would like to encourage you right now, just go ahead and pause the recording. We'll still be here when you get back, but pause the recording and take a minute to pray for Fuad and for the ministry of Crescent Project in those three specific areas that he mentioned. As as usual, I will have all of the links for the resources that we talked about, and there are quite a few in this in this episode. So you'll want to check those out in the show notes. We'll have ways to, for you to connect with FWAD and Crescent Project, as well as those links. I just want to say one more time, thank you so much for joining us. It was great to have you, FWAD. Thanks, Brian. Lord bless you. 
huge thank you again to Fouad Masri for taking the time to be with us and also to you for joining us. If you're interested in talking to me about the possibility of being involved with the show, maybe in some kind of administrative area or involved in maybe social media or something like that, send an email to feedback at engagingmissions.com. And don't forget to check out our sponsor, Megavoice, at megavoice.com slash engagingmissions to find out more about what they have going on. This week's show notes are available at engagingmissions.com slash Fouad Masri. That's engagingmissions.com slash F-O-U-A-D. M-A-S-R-I. Or if you're listening in your favorite podcast app and it has a way to just click through to that link, just tap right through. That's where you're going to find ways to connect with with Fouad to find out more about what they have going on at Crescent Project and to access some of the materials that he talked about. Make sure that you come back next time. We're going to be hearing from Dean Insera, who's a pastor and the author of the book, The Unsaved Christian. Really interesting conversation. Probably not exactly what you're thinking about. I'm going to encourage you to stop by and check that out. And the best way to do that, if you haven't already, is to make sure that you subscribe to the show using your favorite podcast app. My favorite podcast app is Overcast, but you might have a different one. You can access all of those by going to engagingmissions.com slash subscribe, choose your favorite podcast app, or just search for it in the directories, and then you'll be able to... To, to connect with that and make sure that it's delivered to you for free every single time. And if you have a story about how you've been equipped, challenged, or inspired through the Engaging Missions show, I would love to hear from you. Send an email to feedback at engagingmissions.com and make sure that you don't miss the next episode. It's going to be great stuff. 